Good morning again. It's my, um, my pleasure to um, continue our series, our Game Changer series, as we um, explore um, Jesus in the Gospel of John. And this morning, as uh, you may have picked up, the theme and the title of today's message is Born, Born Again. And we're going to be having a look at a, um, quite, a, quite a common, quite a famous, quite a well-known passage of Scripture. And I hope there, um, that as we learn... Um, as we read through it together, that, that there'll be some new insight and there'll be uh, something again that um, will feed you this week. And as we look at, and as, as Brian said, um, that we will find truth in his scripture this morning. And, um, and we, we, uh, we did a little bit of an intro to the book of John uh, last week. We talked about um, um, who the writer might be. We know that the writer was um, known as the one that Jesus loved um, and who we believe to be John, uh, a disciple. And the, the first chapter, the way we, we know that John didn't write the book in chapters and verses, those were added later. And, um, and the first section of this book is actually been checked, sectioned off into chapter one. It's got a bit of an intro and we discovered and we explored the intro last week about how the Word who became flesh, the Word who was there in the beginning, who created the world, became flesh. We, just, we talked about that last week and um, towards the end of that chapter, um, has a testimony about John, how John the Baptist testified about Jesus, um, about he him being um, the light, a bit of, uh, about being the light, and also we included in our intro to John is that throughout the book of John there's what this uh, what is often called the dualisms, these two thoughts that get matched together, which are opposites. So just so we make sure that you're awake and you you you're on board. So if you have these opposites, you'll have things like the light and the dark. Above and below, life and death. Oh, yeah, good, good. And so these are the three um, dualisms that we really need to make sure that are in the back of our mind as we explore um, John chapter 3 this morning. And I do invite you, if you do have your scripture with you, to open up with me to John chapter 3. Just remember these, these things. Above and below, light and dark, life and death. These are the three um, sets of dualisms that are, are explored in John chapter 3 that we'll be looking at today. And so we go from John chapter 1 and into John chapter 2. And John chapter 2 actually starts a section. So from John chapter 2 through to John chapter 12 is a whole section. It's a whole st- section of stories, of testimonies, that are actually have the same pattern throughout the every single story, throughout every single chapter, the same pattern through John chapter 2 through John chapter 12 is found. So the pattern goes like this. There is either a sign like a miracle or a story, a message of Jesus that is given, which creates tension or confusion and then leads people to make a decision about who they believe Jesus is. So there's either a sign or a teaching, a claim that Jesus makes about himself. There's either confusion or anger against what Jesus said and then people force to make a decision. And it's the same pattern that John uses all the way through. And I believe that John does this. He, he puts these stories together in such a way to prove what has been said. It's sort of like a, a proof to what has been claimed at the end of John chapter 1. And for those scholars among us, John, the writer here, loves groups of seven. And at the start of this book, he makes seven claims about Jesus. I won't remember them all, but I'll, I'll try and remember a few. Some of them are, he is the son of God. He is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, and so on and so forth. And he makes these seven claims at the end of John chapter 1 about who Jesus is, and then launches into 
sort of proving, to giving testimony through Jesus's, um, what he did in this world leading up into his Passion Week about who Jesus said that he was. And John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 goes like this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After, um, after dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And this is, this, this is the way this section actually starts off. Now, what's actually quite interesting is that different Bible translations start this story in different places. So in your Bible, you may have at the start of chapter 3, there might be a little title across the top. Does anyone have a title across the top? What does the title say? Jesus and Nicodemus. Does anyone have the title missing? Anyone got the title missing? If you were to go back a chapter and go all the way to the end, is there a chapter title starting at about verse 23? No? Okay, some have them, some don't. Some translations choose to start the story of Nicodemus back in chapter 2. We'll just have a look at those last few verses. So this is where the paper Bible comes in handy. Just scroll your eyes up, turn that page back. Let's look at John chapter 2, um, verses 23 and onwards to give us. It's the last three verses of the chapter, and it really gives us context about what is happening as Jesus meets this well-respected, well-known Pharisee. This is what it says. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in, the, in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Forget that there's any chapter break here, just keep reading. There was a man named Nicodemus. How do you feel? Your story starts off with the context that they trusted Jesus and Jesus didn't trust them. There was a man named Nicodemus. It changes that we go, oh, there was a man named Nicodemus and he came searching for truth and he wanted to know Jesus and he thought Jesus was a rabbi. He called him rabbi. You know, we're on equal footing here. I'm a religious leader. You're a religious leader. You know, we're, this is, we would call this networking in 2020, wouldn't we? But the context changes if we read just the first few, uh, uh, last few verses of the previous chapter. It almost implies that Jesus does not trust Nicodemus. Not trust him as in he wouldn't get him to watch his wallet. That's not the code of trust. It's his, the trust. It's his heart. What's his intention in coming along and talking to him? And Jesus had performed miracles. Now, if you're at Passover time, this is, one of the, this is one of the biggest festivals in the Jewish calendar. And Jesus was in Jerusalem at Passover. The place would have been packed. There would have been people everywhere. And if you made a bold claim, said something controversial, or performed a miracle in Jerusalem at Passover, the news would have spread like wildfire. Everyone would have known. The news would have gone through that crowd faster than gastro at big camp. Like this guy would have just been made known very, very quickly. They trusted in him because of what he did. 
because of his signs. And Jesus knew that that is not the way that you should approach God because of the, what God does for you or the fancy magic that you might see in front of you. And God didn't trust their hearts. Jesus didn't trust their hearts. Why? Because he made them. He's their creator. He knows humans. He knows what is in their hearts. And so a question to help us start off for you and for I this morning is what is the foundation of our belief in Jesus? Is it because of what he has done for us in this world? Is it what we want him to do for us right now? I'll believe in him if. I will trust in him when. Their trust in him and their belief was based on a selfish approach to Jesus. Selfishness and showmanship about what they could see. Dare I say even the entertainment and the spectacle of this miracle worker. He knew their hearts. He knows them and he knows our hearts too. He knows their intents. He knows our desires. He knows your desires. He knows your heart. And he knew Nicodemus. This religious leader, this expert of the law, this this Pharisee who was uh, part of an ancient sect of Judaism back then who held strictly to the observance of the law, following 613 extra laws to make sure that they kept in line with what God had wanted them to do from the time of Moses. Moses was their leader. Moses Moses was the top guy. He was the one that gave the law. And they kept these laws and extra laws and traditions, almost to the point of superiority, that they looked down at other people. And like the people in the crowd, Nicodemus was all about what the eyes could see. And Pharisees, and if you have read Scripture before, if you've read some of the stories of Jesus before, the Pharisees are all about what the eyes can see. And there was always a tension with the Pharisees because they saw Jesus. God's got to be with you because you said that amazing thing. You said that truth. And you performed that miracle. God's got to be with you. But you hang out with those people. And that what led them to the conclusion is if they're going, if Jesus is going to hang out with the people that he shouldn't hang out with, then the other stuff is lies and his power comes from the devil. That was the conclusion. They couldn't marry the two together, that Jesus could speak truth, perform miracles, be from God, and it's still okay to hang out with the bottom of society. This is the culture and the religion that had developed at that time all about what the eyes could see. And we need to make sure that we do not get caught up in this type of thinking for ourselves, about what the eyes can see. Nicodemus is saying, God must be with you because I saw you do this. I need proof that you are from God. And we can quickly go down the road that ends up to I saw you do that, therefore God can't be with you. I saw you hang out with those people. I saw you spending time with these people. I saw what you did. I saw you out that night. I saw you do this thing. I saw what you posted on Facebook. 
I saw what you are posting on Instagram. I see your account on Snapchat. I know about you because of what I see out of context and from a distance. And we do this quite often. And I think, if I'm honest, I probably do this a little myself, both sides of the equation. I've got a picture here that I wanna, I wanna show you. This is a picture, if you really squint your eyes, you'll see who's, who's the person that posted this Instagram picture. One, she's not the highest, but she's one of the most followed people on Instagram. Would you agree? And she posts this picture. She says, thank you for the beautiful memories, Thailand. And she takes, she's got this picture. She's on a beach somewhere. And all you had to do was Google Thai beaches. Next picture. Thailand beaches, top visited places. You just Google Thai beaches. Look at that picture. I might get the computer guy to really work for me. Go back. It's the same video. She downloaded a picture off of Google, put it on her Instagram account and said, had a great time, Thailand. Did she even go? Now, suffice to say, someone would know if Kim Kardashian showed up in Thailand or not. She probably was there, but she didn't take the picture. Just this facade. And I go for myself. I, I went overseas um, with my wife a few years ago and we, we were in... Um, in Germany for Christmas. And we're like, oh, hey, everyone, we've got this white Christmas. And so we take a picture. And the first thing you do is you make sure you get a filter. Did you catch the difference there? Maybe, yep, you've got to put the good filter on. Put the good filter on. Except the truth is, this was a very, very small patch of snow. <laughs> well, did you buy into it? Did, could you see in your mind the snow must go for miles outside the picture? But no, it was what? Probably five meters by five meter patch that they like, that they had like, um, what are those heavy tools that push stuff? I'm trying to think of it. Bulldoze, they'd have like scraped all this snow into a big block and that was it. The rest of it was just sort of dry and arid. And winter in Europe without snow can be not so pretty. It's the snow that makes it really come alive. And this was our um, brown Christmas. <laughs> no. And we do this sometimes. And we're just having a little bit of fun, but we can do that. We like to present a little portion of ourselves that people don't know the real side. But at the same time, we can look at other people, see a small sliver of their life, and we think that we know them. God is with you because you do this. And we can come to church and we can put our best clothes on and we can say all the right things, but we can be far from God. And the opposite is also true, isn't it? We can be walking with God daily depending on Him, but what is seen of us, people expect you must not be of God. And people judge what they see, the small slither or the veneer of our lives that we project. Let us not get caught into thinking through eyes of this world or in, John, in the Gospel of John's um, phraseology, thinking with eyes of below of the below. Jesus replied to this, this sort of, this question, this statement that he says. And this is quite interesting. You'll find that Jesus does this over and over again, more and more so in John. Someone will say something and then Jesus is almost like he's not even paying attention and says something completely unrelated back. Have you ever noticed this before? You must be from God. I've seen your miracles. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm just imagining like Nicodemus' face, like, me? Like, did I miss something? 
It's like, did John forget part of the story here? How did we get to this? He comes at night, religious leader, probably in all his vestments, in all his glory. Everyone would have known who this guy was. Top guy of religious leadership in that country and culture. And Jesus says, you, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You're out. You do not measure up. You do not make it. Unless you are born again. Unless you were born again. Like, if anyone was going to make it, it was going to be a Pharisee. In fact, the people that are on the bottom of society, the uneducated, the low socioeconomic, they were reminded often that they didn't measure up. And now someone at the top was being told he doesn't measure up either. Unless, unless you are born again. And we use this terminology in church a lot of time. You've heard, have you heard someone say, I'm a born again Christian? If you say that to someone who's not a Christian, you are a crazy person. And it's the same here for Nicodemus. He doesn't get what's going on. Born again, what are you talking about? Because when you say born again, you're talking about spiritual rebirth, right? Or we might say, another Christian might say, I've, I'm born of above. You know, I've, I've had a spiritual rebirth. You know, God has made me new or made me whole again. And so Jesus says, you must be born again. And something that's quite well known about this text, but to make sure everyone's on the same page here, in the original language that was written for, for our, that Bible that we translate into English, the word that is used for again in the Greek is anathem. And it can be translated two ways. It can be translated again, or it can be translated from above. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, where's the kingdom of God? At least in their minds, where was it? Above. If you want to go to above, if you want to see the above, you must be born above. But Nicodemus chooses to hear the other side of that understanding, and he chooses to hear again. And he very, for some reason, I don't know why, very graphically asks this question and shows a little bit of his ignorance that he's not quite understanding Jesus. What do you mean, explains Nicodemus, exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Like, why does he have to be so graphic? Couldn't you just say, is it possible? He says, it is not possible. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb? You're like, oh, Nicodemus, we think in pictures. Like, that is not possible. For some reason, he doesn't go, wait, that's impossible. Is What else could Jesus be talking about here? He sticks to again and refuses to consider of above. Because that is the world and that is the religious custom that has been in his mind this whole time. You're not born above. Above doesn't come down and affect you. You must fix yourself. The way to God is perfection. Obey him, obey the commandments, and you will make it there. And Jesus is trying to flip this and change the paradigm and change the belief. He's locked into this thinking of being of below. And Jesus, who is from above, goes on to try and make this clear. And he says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How can we be born a second time? Not by flesh, Jesus is saying. Yes, flesh gives birth to flesh, but if you want to be born, not again, but of above, it comes from above. To be born of below, you come from below. To be born of above, it needs to come from above. By flesh, not by flesh, but by water and the Spirit. By submission through God. And because we have the experience of time and knowing what has passed since then and knowing what Jesus is referring to here, when he says, not by flesh but by of water, what's he referring to here? Baptism. And for us that have been in church for a little while or if baptism is known to you, it is the submission to God as your Saviour. Not that you are doing anything to earn it, but you are just receiving it. When you surrender, when you say, I want to get baptized, when I want to live for Jesus, I want to submit my life to him. That is being born of the water. And the renewing that happens in us, the, the, the thing that makes us step into new life, into new birth, from our children's story, the one that takes it from being, sorry, caterpillar, that's being synonymous to sinner and the butterfly being the saint, but you, you are stepping into a new life through the power of the Spirit. So where does all the change and where does all the power come from? Above. And this Pharisee's thinking is that change always happens from within. Under my strength, my power, I will do this through obedience. And to make sure that I don't break the Sabbath, I'm going to add 70 odd laws to the Sabbath to make sure that I don't break it. Because it's all about obedience and making sure we do and appear well and good to the eyes of other people. How often do they criticize Jesus about what he was doing only through what they could see only through what they could see and Jesus makes it very very simple and we humans we like to complicate this we like to make it there is there's a lot of things you got to do before you can 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 get ready for Jesus there's a lot of things you got to do before you are baptized Jesus says born be born again comes from born of the water born of the spirit that's all he says and both are from without. Both are external to ourselves. Both are a submission to the above. It's quite simple. Something else that is, that is quite simple and that's, that often makes a lot of money in this sphere, and all you have to go down is your local bookshop and see all the books that are available for it, and that is in the get fit, looking good, losing weight category. There's a lot of books down at your local bookshop. There's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of things to help us look good and feel fantastic. And one of the things that, um, that I do to at least try and stay fit 
is um, I am a part of a, a gym. It's not really a gym, but it's a gym's the easiest way to, to explain it, is I'm part of um, F45s. Has anyone heard of this before? It's a few people. All right, I'll try and explain it a little bit. So the whole idea is that it's not a gym where you just go whenever you like and you just do, what, do whatever you like. They basically, all they do is run classes. And the thing that I love about it, guess how long it goes for? It's a class that lasts how many minutes? 45 minutes. The F stands for functional training. And they set up all the weights and all the equipment for you. You show up on time. They give you a little demo of what you have to do. And then you do your workout for 45 minutes and then you're done. And the great thing that I like about it is that you're in and out in 45 minutes. Because I've been to the gym before and sometimes you're there for over an hour just fighting for equipment when it's busy. As long as you book yourself in, you get into the class and you're good to go. For some reason, this has just really, really worked for me. And right now, four times a, four times a year, for eight weeks, they do an eight-week challenge. So starting last Monday was the start of the first challenge for this year. And I started the eight-week challenge where they, you know, you don't have to follow their plan. It's not required. But they give you a meal plan to help you eat clean and to restrict your calories. Because the simple, it, is, it might be simplifying a little bit, but losing weight, or dare I say, when we say losing fat, we really means losing fat, don't we? Right? So losing fat is less in and more out. Eating more than we're burning. That's the formula for losing weight. It's eating clean. It's not just make sure we're just eating a low amount of chips. It's eating clean and making sure our energy expenditure is on top. And I've started this. Um, there can be challenges along the way. There can be temp temp temptations for bad choices. Like I was at the Littlewoods house, and they brought out, behind, uh, brought out the ice creams, and I had to say, get behind me, Satan. Like, ice cream's my weakness. And they brought out these ice creams, and I'm like, put them away. I've just started. I will not fall. And sometimes there can be temptations and trips along the way. And just like getting in shape, just like losing weight, it can be overcomplicated a little bit. It's not easy, but if we restrict our calories and make sure our energy is more than what we eat, the weight is lost. Do we lose the weight? It sort of just happens all by itself. And Jesus is trying to say here, the formula is the same. Be born of the Spirit, be born of the water, and the rest takes care of itself. You, it's not easy. You've got to commit your life. You've got to, it's, it's an all-in process. It's not veggies this meal, ice cream the next. If you're an all-in, the change that happens in our lives happens automatically. Now, you can read some good books. You can get some help. It's great to have great people around us to supporting. But this change that happens within our lives, that rebirth experience, comes from above. It is not something you can manufacture. It is not something you can force. It is not something that you can manipulate. And it is not something you can wrap religion around and hope for the best. Now, there are some religious practices that definitely help. But they are not the rule. They are the support. It comes from being born of the water and being born of the Spirit. And when we do that, we then no longer see the same way. We no longer speak the same way. We no longer do the same way. It's no longer about what the eyes can see. 
We don't look at other people in the same way because we now have eyes from above. We now see people the way Jesus sees people. We now see people as sons and daughters of God, not broken people who are now our projects to fix. We don't see people for who they are. We see people for whose they are. They are God's creation made in his image. No longer who they are, but whose they are. We now see with eyes of above. Not a mouth of below, but a mouth of above. Not judgment from below, but mercy and grace from above. Jesus says it, continues, No one has ever gone into heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that anyone or everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What Jesus is saying here, there is no one that knows about above except me. And I know because I am from above. And Jesus had to come down from above so he could be then lifted up. And when he was lifted up on that pole, when he was lifted up on that cross, so that all men, all women could see him, when he was lifted up on that pole, Scripture tells us that he was lifted up on a common prisoner's punishment. When he was lifted up, he was actually lifted up to above, to heaven again. This is what John, you don't even have to leave the book of John. This is what John chapter 12, verse 23 says. Jesus replied, Now is the time, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. This is Jesus is about to be arrested. He's, when I go on that cross, not only will I be raised up on the cross, I'm going to be raised up into glory. Jesus had to come down so he could be lifted up again. He came down so you and I could be lifted up again. And if we want to be lifted up, we too have to go down first. We have to go down into that water of baptism. Like Jesus went down into that grave, we have to say no to ourselves. We have to die to our old self. And then when we are raised up again, we're not just raised up into this world again, we are raised up into the world of above. Some of you may have heard the already not yet paradigm that when we accept Jesus, we now have salvation and eternal life now. We have kingdom thinking and kingdom of God experience now because he was lifted up and because I was put down into that water and I've surrendered to him and received the Holy Spirit and I was lifted up. I was lifted up. I am no longer from below. I am from the above. And this is the way that Jesus says it as that ultimate act of of love, that ultimate expression of love that is from above. These words that many of us know well in verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world 
not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus gave himself. He lowered himself. He came to this world, submitted himself to the cross for you and for me. He lowered himself so we could be raised up to new life, to new birth. We all need the compassion that comes from above. We all need that mercy and forgiveness that comes from above. We all need a saviour who comes from above. Are you willing to surrender to him? Are you willing to live like Jesus, to see like Jesus, to be lowered down so you can be raised up, to be born again of water and spirit, saved by his mighty power because he is the author of our salvation, the finisher of our faith. Jesus rose again. He conquered the grave so that you might be born again.